Morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm glad you gave up the beach to be here. Should have offered free ice cream tonight or something. Yeah. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for this beautiful day. And we do pray, Lord, that um, you would warm us up just as it's warm outside. You'd warm us up in our hearts tonight. We've carved out time um, from the busyness, the business of life. And we've made it a point to get here so that we can hear from you. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Give us a heart that's set on you. Allow us to redeem the full value of the time investment we're putting into tonight. Allow us to really hear. Speak, speak, Lord, and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so if you weren't here last week... um, we did tape it, and we'll put it, on the, um, we'll put it on the web as a podcast so you can catch up. And um, I'll try to get the PowerPoint over to Joe so he can have that up there as well. Um, but I'll do a, a quick, quick review, um, just enough to whet your appetite. Um, we talked about why, why we should study the Bible, and the number one reason is uh, Jesus said it spoke of him. Uh, that studying the scripture is actually studying him. So it's good to, to, uh, to study it. But also, the Bible says the number one commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Part of loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the mind. I think sometimes we discount that. We think that it all has to be about a heart. But uh, mind is in that passage for a reason. And the rabbis used to say that worship was, I mean, uh, the study of Scripture was the highest form of worship. Okay? And um, obviously because the Word of God is living and active and it, it teaches, it corrects, gives life, moves in the right direction. Um, and then we talked about why, some of the reasons why Paul wrote it, and we'll get, we'll get into those uh, as we go along tonight. Um, we had some maps. Uh, number seven up there, Philippi would be um, who he's writing to. Okay, if you, this is remember this is refresher. So um, if you this is Jerusalem over here, number fifteen, Paul's first missionary journey would have been one, two, three, and then down to thirteen, and then through the islands and back to Jerusalem. That's what he did on the first missionary journey. He intended on visiting the same churches, but the spirit here at number three wouldn't let him go to Ephesus. Tried to go north, the spirit wouldn't let him. And so he had a dream. He came this way and he had a dream of a Macedonian man saying, come help us. He crosses over the um, Christianity, or what it was called back then, the way, then begins to actually impact Europe. It lands on European continent, and it comes head-to-head with the Roman Empire because Philippi is a Roman colony. And, um, and so, therefore, um, the Bible has collided not only with one of the greatest continents ever, but one of the greatest empires ever. And then Paul begins to spread the gospel further. But this letter is written back to Philippians from Rome, number 9 here. Uh, while, while Paul is in prison, okay, so 10 is, is uh, Epaphroditus' trip to him, 11 would be that trip back, he's here in, Roman, in a Roman prison, okay, we looked at the first five verses, 
uh, of um, Philippians, and we talked a lot about how the church at Philippi was pretty similar to the church of San Francisco um, in that it was very um, synchronized, or syncretism was the, use, the word we used. A lot of, um, in other words, all ways are good, but there's no one right way, okay? Uh, that was the way the Roman Empire, whenever they captured a new, new colony, new territory, they just synchronized the gods of that, that colony into their own, and that's what's called syncretism. So they had this pantheon of gods, and they just add to it daily, okay? It just got bigger and bigger. And so also, it was much like San Francisco because in San Francisco, just as in Philippi, you're talking about one of the key cities in a very powerful nation, okay? One of the most powerful nations of the world or empires at that time and now uh, San Francisco is a key city in a very powerful country in this world. And um, things are not always friendly to what we would call the gospel, which we, we talked about last week being the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, it's not always receptive to that. And we talked a little bit about spiritual warfare and, um, you know, the fact that uh, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in dark places. And um, so uh, it's not so much a physical battle as it is a spiritual battle. Um, we also know that uh, he who that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And, um, and so we're not to be fearful, but at the same time, it's good to be aware of the fact that as we're trying to reach lost and broken people with the good news of Jesus Christ that he died for them to set them free and to give them eternal life there is going to be resistance okay and you don't have to be following Jesus for too long before you figure that out usually that happens about oh before you even really make your decision you know it's like right I mean we go we have uh, Marty and I teach the new beginnings class, which we call our, our it's the first class of our, our connection series, and, you know, people that are wrestling with that decision to be baptized or to give their life with the Lord, there's a lot of warfare going on there, and they don't understand what's going on, but we obviously know what's going on, whether it's doubt, whether it's a feeling of unworthiness, or whether it's just my car breaks down, I can't get to the baptism, you know, there's things happening. Okay, so that's going to be a reality in San Francisco. And we left off in, after um, verse 5, with, in the middle of Paul's prayer for this church, uh, Philippian church. He's, he's prayed, um, you know, he, he began his greeting. The way letters work in, in the old days was the from, the to, a blessing, and then we looked at that last week, right, from from, uh, you know, Timothy and himself to the Philippian church and then his blessing, his unique blessing, grace and peace, karas and shalom, uh, the two greetings of, of both the Hellenistic word, world and the Hebrew world combined in one great powerful blessing. And he begins this prayer. He thanks them for their fellowship in the gospel and that's where we left off with fellowship of the gospel. 
in verse 5. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I know we have some in back, but I'll have this up as well. Um, so, so this is where we're going to pick up. Um, Paul's still in the middle of his convoluted sentence. It's going to go on for quite a while. And uh, it's kind of a prayer that goes different places and uh, is a run-on sentence, but that's kind of um, typical Pauline uh, writing. You'll find that sometimes he has like sentences that are a whole chapter. He begins to interrupt thoughts with other thoughts, and uh, his sentences um, seem to never end, but they're beautiful. Okay, so he has this Paul. He says, I thank God, uh, this prayer. I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And here's where we want to start. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, highlighted there on, in yellow. On the, on the right side is the more modern paraphrased version of the New Living Translation in blue. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. So, uh, a very beautiful uh, statement that's packed with meaning, and we're going to look at a little bit of that, um, starting with the, the first thought that God never quits on us. And I kind of threw in parentheses, if we never quit on him. And um, I think it's, there are times when we are on this, I'm going to call it a walk, okay? It's a journey. It's a journey of growth in trying to understand God, love him better, be more like him. After you get past the stage of, okay, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven, uh, the rest of it is a journey of growth. And there are times on the journey when you will doubt. You will have doubts, okay? Um, because we're human and we're frail. And we, we know all our flaws and weaknesses. We're better, we're more aware of them than anybody uh, except for God. And it just seems like we're just, a, you know, sometimes it seems like we're walking in inconsist inconsistency. And... It's sometimes it's hard to believe that God really has any use for us. What was the point? I know I've been there, and I'm sure you've all either been there or will be there. Um, but I, I remember there was a point a couple years in after I, I began following Jesus when I, I was struggling with, with a something, with a sin. And... I couldn't seem to break through. And it, for me, I didn't quite understand it because, you know, when I first came to the Lord, I got delivered of alcoholism. You know, I, spent, I had spent 20 years where I couldn't, you know, make one hour without a drink my whole life. And God just gave me some miraculous breakthrough in that. And um, I know, you know, I mean, I recognize... <laughs> that it wasn't me because, you know, of those 20 years, the, probably the first five, I didn't worry about it, but the last 15, I had been trying <laughs> to at least te temper things or, if not, stop altogether, and I never could. 
And so you know what you can do in your own strength and what you can't do. And I had gotten over this huge hurdle, and I couldn't understand how something that's relatively, when you stood up what I was struggling with against alcoholism, it didn't look like anything, you know? It looked like nothing. I'm, I hear is this breakthrough in this arena, and here's this little thing that you're going, you know, I should be able to get past that. I don't understand. And um, I, I was hard on myself, and some of you guys may be like this. Um, but I, and I, I, would, I would call myself names. I would say, you know, you're stupid, you know. You're stupid, you know, which is basically cursing yourself. Don't do that. It's not good. Um, you know, speak life. Um, but I didn't know that then. <laughs> it's kind of the way I always operated. So um, I remember a, a reading a passage one day where um, the woman comes in and anoints Jesus' feet, pours the oil out over him, and Judas is sitting there going, I mean, what a waste of money. Ridiculous. We could have sold that thing and give it to the poor. And, of course, he didn't want to give the money to the poor. He was just, you know, complaining because he was, the spirit of Judas was on him. And I vividly remember reading that passage and the Lord impressing on my heart saying, that's you. Every time you say you're useless, you're doing what Judas is saying that I wasted my oil on you. Because, you know, the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And God says, I saved you. I put my spirit in you. I poured my oil out over you. I, I, I redeemed you for a purpose. And you say, I wasted my oil. I, and that was the spirit of Judas. I was telling God that he wasted his time with me as if, Somehow I knew better than God what was going to really happen in my life. And um, I'll, you know, I'll never, <laughs> whenever God compares you to Judas, you don't forget that. So um, <laughs> I'll never forget it, but it was, that was a turning point for me. I have never, I don't know, other than telling this story, I don't know if I've ever used the word stupid since, let alone called myself that. And you, you begin to, realize that your value is not in how well you do, but the fact of the matter is it's in just staying in this thing. Just, you know, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. God is not interested in perfection other than Jesus. I mean, he, he is interested in perfection. We can't do it. For so, he sent somebody who could. But he's now he's not up there like, you know, some of us have this image of, of the Father that just can't, you know, you can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. You know, I, I make a mistake, you know, my Father doesn't love me. And you cannot earn God's favor. God didn't pour his oil out on you for, because you earned it, Okay. He did it because he loves you. And now it's just staying, you know, just staying in the thing. Just staying in the thing. Pa uh, Pastor Terry's grandfather, whom I never met, but I have, I know many of his colloquialisms from hanging around Pastor Terry, used to say, um, he used to say, um, uh, the only sin that God can't forgive is quitting. That's the only sin he can't forgive. 
you know? I mean, if you just stay in this thing and you say, okay, I'm going to pick myself up, dust myself off, say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm, gonna, I'm in this. I'm just going to hang in it. God will work with you. The only time God can't work with you is when you turn your back on Him. So I think it's a good reminder. I know there are people in this room that will struggle in this arena, and so I don't think I can overemphasize it enough. God will not quit on you. You cannot, you know, you're going to have seasons where you feel like you're a better Christian than others. And there are going to be seasons when you feel like you're just a, a mess and you can't do anything right. And you've got to hang in there. You've got to stay in this thing. Keep fighting, okay? All right, so hopefully I made, made a point there. And then uh, the second thing that it reminds me of... Um, you know, and I, I'm just remind you of where we're at here. Um, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, right? He began the good work. He's going to complete it. He's faithful. He's not going to quit on you. And God is for you. Um, who can be against you? Romans 8. Let's take a look at that. I see I've made you all lazy Bible people. I hear no pages turning. Since you, you all know that I'm going to go there for you. <laughs> so if you don't know your way around the Bible, it's good to try to track and follow along because it's, it, you know, I understand um, this is more convenient, but it's good to find your way around in the Bible as well. Um, so what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then again later on, um, um, who shall, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Okay, so God is for you. He's bigger than whatever's against you. Um, he's going to do his work. If we hang in this thing, he will complete the job, okay? Now, you won't, get, you won't ever get to the place where you, you've outgrown your need for a Savior in this lifetime. Um, you're going to always need Jesus Christ, but you, you know, by and by, you, you, know, you start looking back, and you'll see God cleans up a lot of messes. And, um, and he's continually at work. You know, day to day, you may not, it's like my, you know, three-year-old son. Day to day, I don't really notice he's growing, but, you know, every six months when we go make a mark on the wall, I go, whoa, man, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, uh, if you kind of do that in your Christian journey and look back, you'll remember God's taking you somewhere, okay? Uh, so God's not going to quit on you. And um, he's on your side, all right? He wants, to see, he wants to see you accomplish good things for him. He didn't just, just save you for no reason. Um, and the other thing it reminds me of is that, you know what? God doesn't just want us out of bondage. He wants us to get into the promised land, okay? Uh, it's one thing to be set free. And, and now I'm going to make an analogy to the Older Testament. When God first called his people... Out of, out of Egypt. He delivered them from slavery. He delivered them from death, from bondage. 
and they crossed over, uh, you know, they crossed through the Red Sea, right? But it, they were having trouble after that getting to the Promised Land, right? They kept taking detours, one detour after another. They get there and they turn left. Get there, they turn right. Right? Or they wouldn't even get close. They just wander around in the wilderness. God's, God has more in mind for you than just delivering you from bondage. That would be good enough. I'm telling you, as one who's been set free from a lot of bondages, that is a great promise. That would be enough. But it's not what he wants. It's not, it's not all he wants. Okay? Remember we used to sing a song, uh, He did not lead you out this far to, to take you back again. He brought you out to, to lead you into the promised land. You know, if you're in the middle of the wilderness, he didn't take you out there so you can go back to the bondage. He took you out there on a journey that ends in the promised land, okay? So it's good to remind ourselves that we are in the process, okay? We are on the journey. And sometimes it, it will be the victory of leaving the bondage. Sometimes it will be the victory of parting the Red Sea, sometimes it'll be a victory of, uh, uh, um, you know, this movement towards the Promised Land. Other times it might look like, oh, take another lap around Mount Sinai. But the journey is always towards a goal, okay? God wants, you know, he, he whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. God wants us to be, have the abundant life. Let's put it that way, okay? I came to bring you life, but not just life, but life more abundant, okay? So, yeah, there is the eternal promised land, heaven, but there's also more in this life for us than just being free of some bondages, okay? It's a journey towards being more Christ-like. So God, so we're in the journey, always. Wherever you're at in the journey, it's still a journey. You still got a ways to go, okay? But you still come a long way, too. Look back, look forward, remind ourselves of, that we're part of the journey. He, he will complete it, okay? He will complete it. All right, last thing, and um, this is something we teach. It goes along with number one, but um, we teach this in our, our Connection series as well because a lot of newcomers, a lot of people who just have found the Lord don't believe they have any value or purpose in Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works which he planned for you before the beginning of time uh, even. So we'll take a look at that. Um, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. I don't know why this one's not following along. It should. There we go. Yeah. It's got a bug in it. All right. So... Um, we'll do this.
for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So there's a couple things there. For one, you, you have um, value. You are a masterpiece of God. Okay, the word workmanship, poema, we get the word poem from it. You know, oftentimes you have to remind yourself that a piece of God is in you, the image of God, the imago Dei. And, and you know, because we'll get so down on ourselves that we don't think we have value or purpose or we don't look like somebody else, you know, that seems to be doing better in the Lord. Start comparing ourselves. We say, man, I, you know, I don't have value. I don't have purpose. And so then what happens is you back off. You don't want to do things for God, right? But the, but the Bible, this verse captures it, but the whole, the, you know, I mean, if you go through the whole New Testament, it talks about it over and over again. God created you with value. God created you with a purpose. Everyone in this room has something to bring to the table. And it's all supposed to work together for God's kingdom. You're all supposed to be part of a body of Christ. We're all supposed to be part of a body of Christ. One of us needs to be a hand. One of us needs to be an arm, a leg, a shoulder. But what happens is we get down on ourselves. We think we don't have much to give, and we, so we back off. And we talked about this last week when we talked about the fellowship of the gospel. It's important that we use our gifts and our talents within the fellowship, within the koinonina that we talked about last week, where we're all operating together so that things can happen for God. This is what Paul was so joyful about and so thankful for about last week. He was talking about, you know, I thank the Lord for you all the time because of this fellowship in the gospel. In other words, you're working together with me and things are happening. And not just, you don't just have value because you're a workmanship in the Imago days and you have purpose. I created you with a plan. You have good works to do. I, I knew what they were before I even created the world. I just want you to find them. And they're not, you know, if you think about some of the things that we strive for in life and we're going after, they're not, that's not it. You know, it's not about even the good things. Even the good things we do, like our families and um, our jobs, providing for our family, those aren't, I don't believe, they might be part of, but they're not the sole good works God created you for. Part of it has to do with what can you do that has eternal consequences in the kingdom of God. Okay? And so, wrestle with maybe, you know, what is it the Lord has put me here for? What gifts do I bring to the table? And whatever lies that are in your head that says, I don't have anything to give. I can't do anything well. I'm just useless. Besides, they don't know me. <laughs> I mess up all the time. I'm a failure. God knows you. He put his, poured his oil out on you. And he saved you for a reason, for good works. Okay? All right. Everyone tracking with me so far? Okay. So Paul is... Um, he just really loves this church. He's in the middle of this great, great prayer. And um, he's going to get into to verse 7 in a second here. I, I do want to look at... Um, Second Corinthians 8... 
Okay, this is Paul talking to um, the Corinthian church, the church of Corinth, okay? And he's telling them about the church at Philippi. He's bragging on them. And he's saying, look, I want you to know, I'm going to read from the NLT on the right. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. This is the Philippian church. They're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Okay? Now, he's talking about the church at Philippi, and he, but he's telling another church. He's saying, and I, you know, he's doing it really to say, you know what, try to be more like them. Um, what they're doing is good. So, um, let's go back to Philippians 1.7. Okay, in the pink on the left and on the yellow on the right. Just that is, it is right for me to think this all of, of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the yellow, so it is right that I should feel as I do about you. For you have a special place in my heart, and you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And end sentence, finally. Okay. Um, so this one long prayer that became a teaching, that became a prayer, that became a teaching, that becomes a, a thanksgiving, that becomes, talks about joy, and then goes back around a couple of times, is, is summing up. He's saying, you know, it's good for me to be thinking about you because you're on my heart. We talked about that last week, about how God will put things on your heart. And we'll push into this a little bit more in a second. Um, and that you... You know what? You guys share in whatever happens. You know, there are eternal rewards. Okay? If you want to search the scriptures, you will find that there are eternal rewards for what you accomplish for the kingdom in the here and now. Okay? Push, push forward. I strive forward. I run the race. Push forward. I try to win the prize. A crown of glory waiting me. Okay? Those are Paul's. That's, that's all Paul theology. There are eternal rewards. And he's saying, you share whatever, you know, whatever it is that I get when I get to God. And it's not something that's, you know, for my own glory. Because what we know that from the book of Revelations, whatever you have up there that's of any value, you're going to be tossing at Jesus' feet anyway. Um, but whatever it is I share, whatever reward, eternal reward I share, you're part of it. Because you have shared with me. Look, we just read about even when they were in trial and suffering, they sent money, to, they were poor, and they sent him money so that he could minister. And so they share in whatever that is. And, and that's an important thing to remember, that when we, because we've been talking about be, getting involved, good works, do things for the kingdom. You know, we all share in whatever rewards are in heaven, however, However many people get to know God and whatever joy they receive by 
by going to heaven and, and you know, we'll be blessed by it and whatever, whatever eternal rewards look like, we're all going to share in, in that because of whatever we accomplish as a body, not because of one person. Okay? We're in this together. They're not even with him. He's in a prison a thousand miles away. But they're sharing in whatever he's accomplishing. And he's saying, and then he, he closed out with this, you know, wonderful, um, affectionate statement that God knows how much I love you. Okay, so there's a, a few, few uh, nuggets there I want to look at. Paul's affection flowed, okay, from the fact that they were in his heart. You can turn to 1 Samuel 18.1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was... And I, I love this phrase in New King James, which we'll read in a minute, but I'm going to read it in the NLT first. And there was an immediate bond between them. For Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Now, if you look over here at the New King James, it's this phrase. Wonderful phrase. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Okay, anyone, I think all of us here could probably uh, affirm the fact that certain people we will connect with in life and there'll be a bond, an immediate sort of, you know that this person is not just somebody who's just like passing through you'll never see again you kind of know there's a special connection. There's something more there. There's, there's something in the Lord there. Okay? Paul knew this about the Philippian church. Right? He doesn't say, he doesn't talk about other churches the way he's talking about the church at Philippi. He doesn't say, you know, God put you on my heart. I pray for you all the time with all joy, rejoicing in the fellowship of the gospel, for God knows how much I love you and I think about you all the time. That's not common uh, Pauline dissertation. Okay? This is, this is Paul, you know, you, some of the other churches he writes to, it's like, oh foolish Galatians. Right? <laughs> One translation has it, listen you blockheads. <laughs> That's the message translation. Um, but, so, he's not this, he's not really known for tenderness, okay? Um, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute. But he's being very tender here. Very tender. Because there's something that Paul recognized. That certain people in your life, you are connected to at a soul level. And those are the people you are supposed to Spend your time with, pray in, pray for, pray into, pray with, pray about. Those are the people you know that God has put, they, God puts them on your heart for a reason, okay? 
God puts them on your heart for a reason. So don't uh, take it, you know, lightly when they come to your mind. It may be the Lord saying, pray for them. Pray for them. And thank the Lord for them. We all have people like this, and we all know people like this, that we just go, God, man, I know. You know, I have, I have um, somebody I met when I first came to church here that, you know, just, I mean, we just hit, hit it off right away. We've been buddies ever since. We pray together. Uh, when the house next door to me opened up, they bought it. <laughs> Moved in next door, you know. So, um, but you just know that God gave me that person. And he knit our souls together because we're in this together. Life is about a constellation of people. There will be people who have gone before you who are kind of like, well, let's use the term mentors, right? There, there will be people who, you know, have things to give you because they've traveled that road before you. And they can speak into your life saying, you know what, I see, the, I see where you're at because I've been there before. Let me give you some wisdom. I'll give you some counsel. Then there are people who will follow you because you've been there before, okay? And you'll be able to help them down the road. But then off to the side, there'll be these peers, okay? These people that God sort of knits your soul together and you sort of journey in this thing together. And those people are God-given gifts to help you along the way. So appreciate them like Paul appreciates them, pray for them like Paul prays for them. Uh, I found myself very, um, uh, very fondly remembering my, my friend next door and praying for him as I even contemplated this. Um, Paul also um, loves this church because they share in his suffering. We looked at that verse. Um, Paul isn't, we're going to look more at suffering in a little bit, so I probably won't spend a lot of time here, but Paul hasn't had it like the most easy life, okay? And um, we'll get into that later. But we also saw that the Philipp Philippian church was suffering as well. And so part of the reason Paul was praying for them and really loving them is he knew they were suffering. And yet they were remaining faithful which was beautiful to him. And then um, he truly longed for them with the love of Christ. That's, that's the, uh, the end, end verse there. And um, I want to kind of spend a, just a minute or two here just talking about um, this sort of love of Christ. I, I intimated earlier that Paul's sort of known more as a bombastic sort of character and a theologian, a scholar, and, you know, I mean, if you, re if you go get any books about Paul, it'll be, you know, what Paul, what St. Paul really said. These are the books that are out there about him. What, what St. Paul was really saying, or, you know, Pauline theology, um, uh, you know, what exactly did Paul mean? And, you know, hard sayings in the, so, the, this is the way Paul's sort of remembered. He's not remembered as, as this sort of uh, tender-hearted guy. But you read passages like this and you're reminded of what really drives him 
And it's the, it's the love of God and the love of others. We talked about it last week. You can sum up the entire law in this. Love God, love others, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as yourself. It's the driving force, driving force, driving force. We, we had a staff retreat on Monday. It was, we were talking about the same thing. We were reminded that everything you do, if it has any value and is going to accomplish anything um, for Christ, it has to be driven by the by that motivation of loving others. If you look at um, uh, Luke 19.10, Jesus said, the Son of Man, speaking about himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which, which is lost. And 418, another sort of um, mission statement from Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim capti uh, the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the driving force behind what Jesus does. I mean, he, he didn't give his life just because out of duty, okay? For, you know, he gave his life because he loves us. Sometimes I wonder why, um, but it has, I'm sure, something to do with that Imago Day that was put in us. Plus, if you've ever had children, you know, when they just love you and, and uh, they're, they're not loving you out of obedience, they're just loving you out of just that pure love, then you kind of get a glimpse of really how God must feel when we love him, not out of duty, but just out of our heart. Um, so, and now I'm getting off tangent. Um, I, I can't really explain why God loves us so much completely. But the fact of the matter is, he loves us enough to die for us. And that is, a, I mean, that's an amazing thing. And I, I don't know if I'll ever truly comprehend what that means. But I try to dig into it a little more all the time because I think there's something about getting in touch with how much he loves us that allows us to love others more. And I pray for a soft heart all the time. Lord, help me love you more. Help me love other people better. I want, I want what I do not to be out of duty, not to be out of, you know, just going through the motions, no routine, no road. I want to do it because I love you and I love them. And that's what, I mean, that's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know, I love you with the love of Christ. And I'm writing to you. I want to, to thank God for you. I want to rejoice in you. And I love you. It's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. And it's not... Um, shared with every church, but I know that the motivation behind Paul's, Paul is a go-getter, believe me. He is gung-ho. I mean, he is a, he is a, he will drive people. You see, people can't hang with him at times. He is go, 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 but it, his motivation is that love, that, that love for one another. And I think when, you know, we as a church, the more we love the lost, the more we want to see people who, who don't know Jesus come, 
come to know him so that they can be set free of the, uh, the brokenness in their life, get cleaned up, get into heaven. The more, our, the more we touch that chord of, I really love, I, 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 I hate seeing these people broken and hurt. And like God, I want to love these people and see the best in their life. The more we can touch that chord, the, the greater power um, that our ministry will have. Okay, so, I mean, minist now, ministry is, can mean a lot of different things to different people, but ministry is basically, you know, touching God, touching people with God's resources, okay? So whenever you're going to touch lives with us, with anything God has, whether it's healing, power, forgiveness, um, getting them to understand salvation and, and receive the cross, whatever it is, ministry, okay? So w whenever you're touching somebody with, with, with God's resources, that's ministry happening. And there's power if the motivation behind that is love. Okay. So a good segue on love because um, in verse... Paul picks up right in verse 9, talking about love. Let's go there. In the yellow on the left, pink on the right, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God in the NLT. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise. This is, um, and Paul's going to talk about love here, but he's also going to talk about it in a couple of different contexts, and then he's going to make a point of where that leads. Um, not only will love have power in ministry, I mean, if, the, if love is the motivation for what we do, for everything we do, whether it's, you know, um, cleaning the church um, or, you know, washing down the sidewalk, whatever it is we do for the Lord, if, you, if it's because you love God, you love other people, you want to see them come in the kingdom, it's going to have power. But now Paul's going to take it another step um, further because he's not saying, he doesn't give an object to this love. Um, what he is saying um, is that, that this love in knowledge okay, and discernment. Okay, let's go back and look at the passage. Okay. That your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Okay. And then he tells you why. Because I want you to understand what really matters. Okay, so um, 
one of your handouts should be a one-pager, just a single-sided. This is from um, Hughes. And, of course, I left that off again. Um, about, no, under prayer for knowledge and insight, under 9, 9B. Do you guys all have that? Everyone tracking with me? Okay. Um, under knowledge, um, you'll see there's, there's sort of a, just that word knowledge under, under there that says knowledge, our existential postmodern culture. See that? Okay, I'm just going to read a little bit from there. Our existential postmodern culture is very sentimental about love. We've heard from the 60s on, all you need is love, as if, uh, other, directed, as if other directed goodwill is the answer to life. A modern proverb says, love is blind, suggesting the blissful ignorance is part and parcel of love. Frank Sheed gives us a prophetic word for such foolishness. A virtuous man may be ignorant, but ignorance is not a virtue. It would be a strange God who would be loved better by being known less. Love of God is not the same... Love of God is not the same thing as knowledge of God. Love of God is measurably more important than knowledge of God. But if a man loves God knowing a little about him, he should love God more from knowing more about him. For every new thing known about God is a new reason for loving him. Okay. Does that make sense a little bit? Here's the point. When, when I first... Uh, was introduced to Jesus, whatever love I had for him flowed out of what my limited understanding of him was. Um, I know that he, I, I had felt something, okay, I felt, I felt that, that sort of warm tingly. So, so some of you guys have been there when, you, you know, you just know the, the, the Holy Spirit's present. And, you know, the Old Testament calls it Shekinah, which is a word for like weight, so you kind of feel that heaviness on you. I, I had been there. I knew that my life was changing. Things I couldn't break free of, all of a sudden I'm breaking free of. And, and I, I, was, I was, found myself loving God, right? Well, 10 years later, if that's all I still knew about God, that would be insufficient to really love Him well. Is it, so, you know, I, and we talk about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, okay? Knowledge is part of it. You can't disassociate knowledge from the love of God. If you want to love God more, you need to know Him better. Okay? There is, and we're going to go somewhere here, okay? We're going to go somewhere here. But this is part of, this is part of the ball game, okay? You have to increasingly get into your Bibles, increasingly pray, increasingly read scriptures if you're going to increasingly know Him. And by increasingly knowing Him, we will have increased love for Him. Okay? Are we, so we're all on the same page so far? We're tracking with me. So um, knowledge is an important element of love. Okay? Um, okay, now... See if I can find my place again. Um, 
Hang on here, I got lost. Okay. So, so a love of God flows out of a revelation of God. God is unknowable. Um, the Bible tells us that. In Isaiah 55, it says, you know, who can understand the mind of God? His ways are higher than our ways. Um, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God is simply unknowable. If your God is no, you know, if you could just sort of figure God out, he wouldn't be much of a God. Okay? Because he, he's, you know, if we have very limited, very limited understanding. Um, and so God is, is, is not knowable. The good news for us, God is revealed, and he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself through the Bible. He reveals himself through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so, because God likes to reveal himself to us, we can know him. Now, if he decided to remain distant and unattached and never sort of wanted to be known, we would never know him. But he can be known because he reveals himself. So, the way we love him more is by having a better understanding or a better knowledge of who he is. The way we have a better knowledge or understanding of who he is is through revelation of God. Okay? So you need to seek God for more understanding of who he is. And he gives us, keeps giving us bits and pieces as much as we can take here and there, right, along the journey. And that's part of the process of staying in love um, with Jesus. But this love um, um, also flows, this knowledge that leads to love, it, it should flow into discernment, okay? And the word discernment, really insight, okay? So now we're, now we're talking um, the ability really to see spiritual truth, okay? Let's go back and look at what Paul said. Uh, I want you to understand what really matters, okay? In, in the other one it says, so that you can approve the things that are excellent and sincere, okay? Sincere, um, meaning, um, I can't remember. I used to know the Latin word for sincere, sincera, but I can't remember. Um, so, this knowledge in, that's driving this love is supposed to lead us into better understanding of spiritual things. Now, we talked about spiritual warfare. We're talking about a different dimension, right? We know what we see with our eyes is, is part of this world. But we also know that there are things that happen in the spirit, okay? Whenever we encounter situations in life, there are things that are going on that seem natural, but there are also spiritual things behind that, that naturalness. Now, we don't always understand that, do we? We don't always see what's really happening in the spirit behind every decision we make, okay? If I decide to get married, okay, that person could lead me to a better, uh, a more fulfilled life with God. A, they could help me to be a better person, a better minister for Jesus, they, or they could undermine the whole thing, okay? And so there's a spiritual dimension to every decision we make. Well, what Paul's saying is that when you begin to know God better and love him more, you'll begin to see into the spirit realm a little better. Okay. Um, there, 
and that's discernment. Now, some people have the gift of discernment. It always comes up high on my list. But it, it's just really being able to see spiritual truth. Because look it. He goes, I, you know, why does that matter? So that you can live pure and blameless lives until Christ's return, all right? So that um, you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. It matters because if you want to live well for God, you have to begin to see things in the spirit realm. Some of the questions we get, uh, Pastor Marty and myself, when we do the connection series, uh, well, if I'm in a Christian, can I do this, right? As if everything can just sort of be put in a box of black and whites. Um, you know, well, does that mean I have to get rid of my Black Sabbath albums? You know, those are, those are the kind of questions you get, right? <laughs> yes, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, we don't say that. Um, and I, I purposely never, you know, unless it's some sort of black and white thing in Scripture where, you know, I, then I have to have a chat with him after the class, not in front of everyone, about, you know, what Scripture says about something and saying, you know, that's probably not the best thing for you. Now, you know, you can do whatever you want. I'm just saying it would be against God's principles and it wouldn't lead to life, okay? Um, but if it's something in the gray area like your Black Sabbath albums, you know, we just talk about learning to understand God's will for your own life. You know, because that question is going to be different for every one of us, depending on who you are. Okay? I am sure that there are things that are permissible in my life that maybe are not for you. And I'm sure there is a lot of things that are permissible in your lives that I'm not supposed to do. And I don't really need to decide what's good for you and what's bad for you. All I need to be able to do is discern with my spiritual eyes what God's asking of me. Okay? So knowledge of God and love of God lead to this a better understanding in the spiritual realm, which helps us live better. So really, why is this important? This is important because Christianity for a long time has always been looked at as some sort of... Um, uh, police, uh, so, you know, some sort of fun police, you know. Well, they just, uh, you know, they want me to do this, they won't let me do that, and there are churches like that, okay? There's a reason you get a bad rap. There are, there are churches that are more interested in the rules than people's hearts. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to follow Jesus well, you are going to have to discern you are going to have to discern what is right and wrong for you. And it can't flow out of a set of rules from the church. Okay, now I'm not talking about the black and white things that are in the Bible. Obviously there are things, you know, don't murder, okay? That's not, you know, that one's pretty, you know, that's the same for all of us, right? Um, you know, those are black and white. But I am talking about most most things you will struggle with, wrestle with in this Christian life, I can't tell you. I can only tell you that if you love God because you understand Him better, you will have better spiritual discernment. You will be able to decide better what is helpful for you in this Christian journey and what is harmful for you in this Christian journey. Okay? If I give you, if I give that connection class a bunch of set of rules that says don't listen to Black Sabbath, you can't go to the concerts, you can't dance, 
You can't do all these things that Christians over the centuries have said to everyone you can't do. Um, all I've done is empower the, the, the thing, you know? It's like the forbidden fruit then. It's all they want to do, right? The real ability to get past things flows from love. Let's go back to, um, to our, our thing here, and hopefully this will make more sense now, okay? So we, we're going to look at it now. This is a flow chart, right? Love, knowledge, discernment. We get to the ability to see things in the spirit, to make right decisions. It matters to me because I want you to be pure and blameless. This, it matters to me that you love and have knowledge of God and that you begin to see things in the spirit, right and wrong, because it will affect your character. If you want your character to be holy, pure and blameless, as Paul says, if you want to be living the Christian life that, you, that um, you know, we know is kind of the ideal, we, we kind of know how we should be living, and, but we can't break the free of things, that power lies in that love for God. Ultimately, it lies in the, power, the love of God, okay? You can't, I mean, I, we've used this metaphor before in men's retreat, but if, if you're struggling with something, right, you can't just, if it's like a big, say, uh, uh, a, like an Alhambra water jug, okay? If, if that thing, you know, this big air pocket, if you're trying to hold that thing underwater long enough, right, you just white-knuckle it, I will do this. I, I will not sin again. And you're holding that thing down. You're pressing it further underwater. And pressure is building and building and building. That thing is going to explode up. Okay? It's the same principle. that You, you can't sort of white-knuckle yourself into holy character. It flows out of a love for God, which flows out of knowing Him better, which gives you spiritual understanding, and it also gives you, you know, the Holy Spirit's involved in this too. There's power in it. There's power in it. So if there's things, you know, I talked about, I couldn't break free, I couldn't break free, I couldn't break free of something, okay? The, the harder I try to push that thing down, white knuckle my way through it, say, I'm never going to do that again, I swear! You know, that the more that thing exploded. And it wasn't until I got into another level of love for God that I found the power of God was able to break, break that thing in me. Okay? I went a long way to get there. But did you all track with me? Okay. So, let's take a... Um, and, um, first, where are we at? Verse 12. So we just finished the whole, that one whole section, okay, uh, of, of Paul being elated, full of joy, uh, praying for, and rejoicing in the Philippian church because of their fellowship of the gospel and, and what he prays for them. He prays that their love would expound and expand and that they would know uh, they would know God better. Um, this is not dissimilar to other prayers. You read Ephesians that they would know the, the height, the width, the depth, 
the love of Christ, um, which surpasses all knowledge. You, you'll find this prayer is very similar in a lot of his letters, that he wants people to know Jesus, because when they do, they'll love him, and it's, that will transform their character. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we never say anything's wrong. Um, I, I wanted to make a point that you know, it's the power to really overcome sin is in loving the Lord. That was my point. Doesn't mean that you know anything goes. Um, there are times to say, "Hey, that's not healthy for you." But again, the motivation is love, right? Loving someone enough to to want the best in their life, not some sort of um, coming down on them with a a hammer um, because we're the police, you know, the 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 Christian police. So um, so there's a balance in there. Um, I will say this: when I came into this church. Uh, my life looked anything but like a Christian should. I had, I came in here, you know, basically living in my car, uh, uh, coming out of a, being locked up in a kind of a, a nut house and um, struggling with addiction, all kinds of, you know, I mean, you name it, my life was a mess, okay? No one really ever said, you know, you're a mess. You know, you, you should get cleaned up because you're just an ugly sinner. You know that? Um, I never heard that. No one ever said it. You know, they might have thought it. <laughs> it's possible they thought it, but nobody ever said it. Um, and, and, but people pointed me toward, to, towards Jesus. And, you know, he, he has a way of cleaning people up if they'll hang with him. And so... Um, you know, I don't think, you know, there, and I'm, I'm not saying there's never a time to say, you know what, I don't think that's right for you. But I am saying that pointing people towards Jesus will do a lot of the cleaning up. And, um, and so usually, you know, the time when something needs to be said is more because they have an attitude of, I know it's wrong, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, and then now we have a different situation. That's called rebellion, right? Because um, they got the discernment, they love God enough to know it's wrong, and they still don't want to listen, and that becomes more of an issue. Um, okay, so, all right, hopefully I've been able to balance grace and truth in there about how to, you know, Paul is really praying for them to have the, the life, uh, the abundant life that, that is abounding with joy abounding with freedom, but also abounding in purity and holiness, okay? So, let's move on to verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Look at something here for a second. Okay, so this palace guard is a word for praetorium, which is like this um, special unit forces from Caesar, right? It'd be like the Green Berets or something. Uh, it's the elite troops. These people got like double pay. Um, and so Paul is saying that um, despite all of the difficulties he's having, um, it has been for good 
because even this special, even these you know Caesar's elite police, elite Green Beret team of palace guards has come to know Christ, and so he's rejoicing. Um, let's take the other hand out I gave you. This one says James um, Montgomery Boyce on it. On page 51, Paul's sufferings. Okay, we must remember first that the things that happened to Paul were quite different from the things Paul had planned for himself. That's, you know, I mean, that, that needs to be said. Okay, all of us, whatever we think our journey is supposed to look like, whatever we think, you know, blessing from the Lord looks like, it's going to be um, seeing through a glass dimly. Okay, it, it's not, our view and God's view don't, they probably never line up. They never line up. And, and so I don't think Paul, when he got on this thing, was saying, yeah, I, I can't wait to get to that Roman jail because that's when I'll really be doing this thing for the Lord. Uh, Paul was the great missionary to the Gentiles and, for, Gentiles, and for years he had carried the gospel to various parts of the world. He had traveled through Syria and Crete and through most of what is now Turkey and Greece. Somewhere along the way he conceived the plan of taking the gospel to the far west, to Spain, after returning once more to Jerusalem and stopping for a visit in Rome. These plans were not fulfilled. Instead, he found himself a prisoner on trial for his life. At the time of this, uh, the writing of Philippians, he could have no real confidence that he would ever be a free man again. Um, and then he, uh, Boyce goes on to quote somebody who talked about this suffering that Paul is going through. Um, and this guy, J.A. Motyer says, what happened began in Acts 21.17. So if you, if you did go back to the book of Acts, you could follow some of these trials and tribulations of Paul. It says, when the apostles set foot in Jerusalem, forewarned by the spirit that bonds and imprisonment awaited him, an entirely false accusation was leveled at, at him by his own people. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob. He ended up in a Roman prison, having escaped flogging only by pleading citizenship in Rome. His whole case was beset by a mockery of justice, for though um, right was on his side, he could not secure a hearing. He was made the subject of an unjust and unprovoked insult and shame, malicious rep misrepresentations, a deadly plot, kept imprisoned, um, by officials who were craving popularity and money. Uh, even though his sufferings were not over, there came a prolonged trial of a storm at sea where his life hung as it seemed by thread, both because of the elements and because of petty um, officiousness. Eventually, he reached Rome. It was far from the ambassadorial entry that he had doubtless looked for. He came in the company of the condemned, bound by a chain, and destined to drag out at least two years under arrest, awaiting an uncertain decision by an earthly king. Nevertheless, while in prison, still chained, still unheard, still uncertain, he looks back and says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is an amazing man. Uh, I mean, I, I detest suffering. I don't I don't like it. 
And I don't deal with it as well as Paul does, I can tell you that. Um, let's go back to, um, let's see. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 23. Okay, this is Paul. This is now what we just read was what happens to Paul between Acts 21 and, and the Roman jail. Before that, this is Paul writing about some of the stuff he's had to go through. Okay? Uh, he's telling the Corinthian church, I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry, thirsty, and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And besides all this, I have the daily burden of concern for all my churches. So if it weren't enough that all this physical abuse goes on, all the time he's worried about the churches that he has helped um, launch or begin. Because he cares. Remember we talked about how much he loves them. Um, I would think, you know, the first time I got 39 lashes, <laughs> I'd be on the fence, you know. <laughs> right around lash number two. <laughs> Um, I'm just being honest. I mean, you know, I, I actually I have, you know, I have no idea of my capacities when, you know, until you face them. And with God on your side, you can do a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? In the book of Philippians. Um, so hopefully none of us will ever have to face the kind of suffering um, that Paul has to face here. But um, to me, it is amazing, it is amazing to me that he not only endured these hardships, but he, he seemed to thrive. Um, and his attitude was unbelievable. When you think about the fact that he's writing back to the church at Philippi, who hasn't heard from him in two years, and they have heard rumors, you know, that he's in jail, things are not going well. And they're probably discouraged. They're probably wondering whether Paul's going to make it. They're probably wondering what's happened to their, you know, their, their great founder, their, their strong, you know, their, their, their strong tower, the one they've leaned on. And they may be at this point in a point of doubt. They send Aphrodite to uh, Epaphroditus to um, 
to not only minister to him and to give him some money, but they want to know what's going on, how he is, right? I mean, they don't know. And, and isn't it amazing that Paul's response to them is, things are great. Don't worry about me. You know, there's some things going on here. I think Paul cares more about um, encouraging that church in Philippi than he cares about his own suffering. And so I want to look at a few things that Paul's attitude brings. Um, one, he had the ability to focus on the positive. Um, there was positive, right? I mean, some people in Caesar's very own house were getting saved. Um, things are happening. God is at work. St stuff is, is going on. But if he chose to look at the shipwrecks, the imprisonment, the fact that he had chains and guards around him, the fact that you know, he couldn't get a, a hearing even though he, deserved, he didn't even deserve to be tried, but he couldn't get a hearing. He's just in, in jail sort of without being charged and he's not even, no one wants to hear the thing. He could have focused on the fact that he, you know, he's probably um, a pretty sore, beaten down old man at this point because all the physical uh, abuse he's taken is going to take its toll on your body in, in your older age and when you get cold out and stuff. I can tell you um, that, you know, I feel some aches and pains from my youth now. I didn't feel when I was 20. Well, I, don't, and I wasn't whipped, you know. Um, he had a lot of things he could focus on in the negative. There's a lot of places his mind could have gone. Instead, he chose to find the blessing in the thing. And that's, you know, that's taking, you know, the Bible says, take every thought captive into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's, that's what that is. When you have the ability to choose to think on things. And it's, it's, gonna, it's interesting to me that, that later on in this book he's going to talk about this. Think about what's, what's right. Think about things that are holy. Think about things that are pure. Set your mind on things above. Okay? Paul, Paul always, it often is saying, set your mind on things above. Remind yourself about this. Think about the right things. Okay? A lot of this Christian journey is going to be on what you focus on. Because if you want to focus on the negative, you'll find some negatives and you can stay there. All of us. And you don't even have to have half the, you don't even have to have one-tenth the suffering Paul has to find enough negativity to fill your day. And it will, it will um, overwhelm you. The Bible says, be careful not to let a, a root of bitterness grow up in you, by, by which many, of, many people are defiled.